Hello and welcome back to the Long Shore. So with the dust well and truly settled now on 2023, there has been plenty of talk about the value of active investments. Regular listeners of the Long Short will of course recall us speaking to Amos CEO at the end of last year to get his take on what was driving performance in alternative investments. Now this week comes news of a new paper which reviews the past 12 months for hedge funds. The report is a bit of everything, including what hedge fund strategies delivered for investors, what are investors' intentions for the coming year. Are they likely to keep their fate with hedge funds, particularly with equity markets roaring back over the past year? And what about all this talk around hurdle rates? What impact, if any, is this going to have on hedge funds? Well, to answer all of this and more is one of the authors of the latest research piece by Barclays Capital Solutions. Rourke Staller is America's head of strategic consulting at Barclays Prime Services. And in addition to this, he also sits on AIMA's Global Research Committee. So we get to benefit from his wisdom very often, and we are delighted to be able to share it with listeners this time in the Long Short studio. Rourke, it's great to have you on the Long Short today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and it's great to be here. So thanks again for sharing your insights with us. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you give us a quick background to this new report? Sure. This is something you know we do every year, at least once a year, and I'll explain that in a second. But um, you know, and, and like you said, I think you did a great recap uh, describing. You know, we, we go into kind of how hedge funds are performed. What's the you know what's the basis for the way that they've kind of come from a long term view as well as more recent time with regards to performance, and we look at you know uh, returns, alpha, sharp, etc. Um, and then we also look into investor sentiment. Uh, around a variety of topics. Uh, it could be hedge fund strategies, various products being offered by hedge funds. We'll dip into ESG or managed accounts, things like that, um, as well as we'll go into, we try and find something uh, that's, you know, kind of a different theme for each year. So, um, you know, this year we looked at, you know, where, I think, you know, you mentioned hurdle rates. We rent, we, we looked at kind of how, um, the risk-free rate has adjusted investors' expectations around returns as well as around fees. Um, so we'll you know go into all that. And I just want to mention that you know the times when we don't do it just once a year, it's usually the case that there's something extraordinary that's happened or you know a shift in sentiment. So you know if you think about coming out of 2020, right? That was a, a great example. 2019 hedge funds were uh, you know building some uh, momentum with regards to investor sentiment. Then the, the COVID hits, everything gets shut down. And it was like, okay, what does this mean for the industry? So we ended up doing one in March. But usually when we do it, we'll do it again in you know the uh, July timeframe. Well, there's loads to jump into there. And we will take each of those sections in turn. But just very simply to start off, how did hedge funds perform last year? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's an all relative base. You know, it's always on a relative basis, right? So... You know, at a high level, uh, hedge funds had a you know pretty good performance year, around plus seven percent. Um, you know, relative to recent expectations, is probably a little bit low, but relative to long-term expectations, kind of in line with where investors would be thinking. Um, but it's it's nuanced because you know the story isn't only about returns, and it's you know not necessarily about the overall right. It's, you know, investors really will take a nuanced approach where they'll be allocating to you know a variety of different strategies, and um, you know the overall might not matter as much uh, as you know depending on what their weightings are. Um, and then the other component is alpha, and you know for twenty three there were some strategies that had you know pretty good returns, you know but then had negative had negative alpha. Um, if you want to get into that now, I can you know jump in there, but uh, you know it's it, it's really kind of a uh, double-edged sword, I guess, from a from an investor standpoint. So let's for a moment pause there, Rourke, and, and talk about just performance. And we'll get into the alpha bit later in the episode. But on the performance bit, Rourke, um, what we hear about and how, how we actually try to articulate the value proposition of, of hedge funds for investors is thinking about the dispersion of returns, Yeah. And your report goes into that in quite a lot of detail, really teasing out what are the best and those that had a more challenging year. So what can you tell us about the dispersion around performance the past 12 months? Yeah, so I think it's, 
you know, it's interesting to think about it in the context of 22 as well, right? Um, the strategies, there's been a couple strategies that have done really well in 23 that also did really well in 22, right? Um, thinking about fixing them relative value uh, as well as quant equity. Um, and, you know, both of which had, you know, really strong returns, really good alpha um, leading the way across the, the various sub strategies. And the quant equity story, I think, is you know is somewhat interesting because coming out of uh, twenty and, and nineteen and twenty, when quant equity had done really poorly, it now kind of has reverted. Had three strong years in a row, um, you know, coming out of twenty one as well. Then the story about managed futures and discretionary macro and multi strat is you know kind of a tale of two years, right? So if you look at the way that uh, those three strategies performed in twenty two, you know, all had positive performance, positive alpha, and then coming into 23. And that story shifts where, you know, the returns were not not didn't, you know, didn't keep up with the overall industry, and alpha was negative. So, you know, over a two year basis, they ended up having, you know, okay, looking okay, on a relative basis. Um, but for 23, they were they were down. What do you think is is the reason or are there reasons for why we had a decline in performance from managed futures over the past year. You mentioned that they did so well in 2022, and that was, listeners will recall, and you'll recall as well, Roark, that that was a year where we had a particularly challenging year for the 60-40 portfolio and for stock markets at large. You know, managed futures are like kind of a counter in that regard, right? They, they usually do better when, um, you know, the, when markets are down. Um, and then, you know, they don't necessarily do as well when markets are up. So I think there's, a, for managed futures in particular in 23, it's, it's kind of like a, a double-edged sword, right? So they had, in the beginning of the year, the banking crisis was, uh, you know, went against them. So they didn't do, they did poorly, really poorly in March. <clears throat> and they may have fought back a bit. But then by the end of the year, now the equity markets are, you know, kind of ripping and, you know, they were having a, a challenging time keeping up. So, it's, you know, I think of managed futures, I think of a very diverse portfolio. And it seemed that kind of either way that they went, it, you know, the, the other asset classes went against them. So, you know, they might have done okay at one point with, uh, with their commodities exposure, but didn't do well in equities or, you know, vice versa. Um, you know, the interest rate adjustments throughout the year or, or lack thereof, uh, also had you know an adverse effect on their performance, and I think that is a really important uh, nuance to get in right at the top. Just that although uh, we do often talk about uh, various indices comparisons, there are so many subplots to those stories, and and it's uh, sometimes <laughs> sometimes more important to focus on that than the overall indices performance. But with that said. My eye was also immediately drawn to this very uh, striking chart that you've got early on in the report, which does compare uh, hedge fund performance versus the MSCI World Equities Index and the 6040 portfolio, which, as Tom mentioned, had an interesting time of it. And this chart shows uh, performance over the past two years between uh, January 2022 and December 23. Bearing in mind that our listeners do not have the benefit of this chart in front of them yet, uh, could you just sort of describe the story of what what this going on here and what and what this chart represents? Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's a, this is actually a really helpful walk, I think, for for listeners as we talk about sentiment overall. Um, and what ended up happening, right, in twenty two, hedge funds were collectively down very slightly, right? Um, from a return standpoint, I think it was just under, you know, just just barely negative. Whereas the the two indices were down, you know, depending the MSCI world, which is all equities or the 60-40, which is equities plus bonds, um, coming out of 22, were down somewhere in the 17-18% range. Um, and what ended up happening was that that sounds like phenomenal outperformance from, uh, you know, for the hedge funds. And you'd say, oh, wow, they should, you know, investors are probably very keen on making allocations there. But what ended up happening was, you know, this, the term that's been coined, I think, you know, pretty commonly uh, referred to as the denominator effect, right? So now, because their other investors, other um, strategies were overweight, sorry, underweight, because they had now had all these negative returns, creating hedge funds to be overweight. 
So the sentiment coming out of 22 was, okay, hedge funds did great. I'm sorry I have to do this, but I need my money because I got to go fund my, you know, the rest of my portfolio. Now, obviously, this this is particular to investors that have strict uh, allocation percentages, whereas, you know, some of the investor types thinking more on the private side are going to be less beholden to uh, managing to a specific number, right? But overall, you know, you had significant outperformance on a relative basis again. So even though it was negative, there was still like, you know, uh, not nearly as negative as, as the markets. And then come 23, and now that changes, right? The, uh, the both of the indices we were talking about, the MSCI and the 6040, uh, both do, you know, very well. Um, and hedge funds did good, like I said, like, you know, up 7%, you know, in, in a year that, had, that the markets aren't ripping, that's a, that's a pretty good number. Rourke, the report also references the performance of the Magnificent Seven. Now, we're not talking about the 60s Western classic Steve McQueen, rather the seven most influential stocks in, in the U.S. stock market today, Google, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla. And the extent that they significantly boosted the fortunes of its investors – but investors who allocate to hedge funds, presumably they'd be invested in these anyway, right? And and they look to hedge funds to do something else. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. And I and thank you for making the case for me. Um, you know, I, I really think of, you know, hedge funds are meant to be a hedge, right? So, you know, presumably, like you said, the investors got the benefit of the Magnificent Seven and shouldn't be expecting the hedge funds to, to replicate that performance because that's not... You know that's not what you want from them. You want to get differentiated, non-correlated returns, or you know, aka alpha. Um, and what was interesting was, you know, I told, I said, you know, before that twenty three was a really challenging year for for hedge funds. And when we started using our traditional methods of trying to identify what the drivers were of that negative performance, our normal methods didn't work. Right? We couldn't put them into our uh, hedge fund. Alpha drivers, um, you know, uh, calculation and come up with a number that seemed even closely reasonable. So what we did was we looked at those seven and take, taking them out, you know, to create a an index called the S and P four nine three, right? And if you look at hedge funds uh, correlation to both over the last two years, it's pretty similar. Which to your point means that hedge funds are not overly uh, exposed to the seven versus you know the the four nine three. Um, and when we did that and we took away the, the Magnificent Seven, but by the way, I don't know if I said this, but the S&P 500 was up, you know, almost 25%. Half of that came from the, the Magnificent Seven. So you take away those seven stocks and now it goes down to, you know, just over or just around 13%, right? So when we did that, when we took away the seven and looked at the performance on an alpha basis, hedge funds actually were up 05 so now we were expecting, um, you know, them to be slightly positive when we, or, you know, like one and a half percent. And when we, you know, based on our historical way of looking at things, now it's only off by one percent plus point five. It seems to make sense. So to me, uh, the Magnificent Seven had a had a outsized impact because of the way that they just completely ripped. And the other thing I would just point out is that the in the last seven years. You know the the different iterations of the Magnificent Seven, right? Nvidia is kind of a new ad, right? Whatever whatever the uh, different acronyms were uh, historically, but you know you kind of look at the performance there. And the only other year that was even remotely as impactful, not surprisingly, was 2020 when you had this massive V-shaped uh, market. Um, you know, for 23, it doesn't look as V-shaped. It's kind of you know the the seven just go straight up. They were, and by the way, they, collectively they were up 110 percent on the year. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully investors did very well there and, you know, and we're, we're happy with the, uh, the performance of, head, of their hedge fund, you know, in, you know, which is a much smaller piece of their overall pie. So I just want to pause for a second because we've, we've, we've talked around the sort of the broad topic of risk a little bit here, but I just want to dwell on it uh, and ask you directly because you, you articulate it really interestingly in the report, which is to say that uh, hedge fund investment uh, as being almost four times less risky than an investment in equity markets, which many uh, sort of outsiders to the industry may think is, is slightly counterintuitive. So can I just ask you to elaborate on that a little bit? And, and why is it 
that you so often hear this narrative that that just hedge funds equal risky? Uh, yeah, so there's a couple pieces in there. Um, to, to take the second part first, as far as you know, why are what what's driving you know that perception, right? That's you know that's also going to be a bit nuanced, right? If you think about you know the various different um, investor types and what they might uh, what they may what their approach might be, but in general, you know, if you think about hedge funds, you're talking about leverage, right? Which is you know inherently risky. Um, they're also in many times. Uh, they may have concentrated portfolios where you're going to say, okay, you know, uh, these 20 stocks represent, you know, 100%, you know, of my longs, and then you're going to have another 30 stocks that are right. So it's, you know, instead of taking a massively diversified approach, they are, and, and this is, again, a perception, right? Because if you think, we, and we can talk about that in a second, but, um, you know, the, there's going to be this, this group of managers that do take that approach that so they want to have limited you know, where they where they can high conviction trades, right? So ideally, you know, that that conviction comes with, you know, the, the, you know, the risk management and, and the analysis that justifies it. But I think that, you know, that would be kind of my expectation around why they're perceived as risky. Um, but the reality is that that is a small part of, of the market, right, of, of the hedge fund industry, many more are um, you know, taking, you know, broad, uh, approaches and, you know, across asset class, right. If you think of the, the, uh, increased number of managers that are increasing the strategy or the asset classes that they're participating in. So it could be equity managers that are including macro because, you know, with the risk rate where it is and, the, you know, it, and having a little bit more diversification and, and, you know, we show in the report about how, uh, you know, different strategies can provide different outcomes during, you know, positive and negative months. Right. Um, and I'll kind of segue there to your risk point, um, which I think was represented by the, uh, the upside and downside capture. Um, and what ended up happening here, right. If you looked at over the last five years, well, let me start you know, by saying, if I were to ask investors at any point, uh, what's your expectation around performance on an upside and downside basis? I think investors would commonly say we expect two thirds of the upside and one third of the downside. And what hedge funds have produced over the last five years um, in very volatile markets, right? So the average performance when markets are up, the MSCI was plus three and a half percent a month. Whereas when it was down, it was minus almost 4% a month. That's, you know, like if you think about what that means on an average basis, that's a lot of volatility. Um, you know, so not surprisingly on the upside, hedge funds didn't quite get there. They only got a third of that upside. Um, but you know, that's, so that's half, right? Half of the expectation, but in the negative months, hedge funds actually generated, uh, or actually captured only 2% of the downside collectively, um, which is extremely low and, and, you know, making the point around their risk controls right or risk management they did a phenomenal job of avoiding the drawdowns that the you know the markets had and when we look at you know the various strategies and you know here it gets to the diversification point you know they're like managed futures for instance has negative downside capture they're capturing some of the upside but when the downside when the when the market is negative and this gets to the point tom i think you asked about earlier managed futures actually generated positive returns right so you combine that with discretionary equity for instance which you know, ends up capturing a little bit more of the downside because, you know, they're just going to have more beta as you would expect. Um, you know, you get that diversification where you're going to end up being, uh, you know, being able to churn out uh, positive returns, but, or, you know, stronger returns and, and some alpha on a monthly basis. That, that's been very helpful, Ro. Thank you. Um, you talked a lot um, to date so far in this episode about alpha. Um, and you describe it as differentiated, non-correlated returns. So did you find any evidence to suggest that hedge funds delivered alpha last year? And if so, um, what were the strategies that did so? I'd, I'd love to hear more. What were the factors behind this? How do they compare to 2022? Yeah, so um, <laughs> across, at a high level across the strategies, um, Many did not. More than half did not generate alpha. Um, and I'll get into who who the kind of winners were. But I do think that you know that the 
the risk-free rate of, of almost 5%, right? And if you think about the way that we calculate alpha, you're taking away the risk-free rate. And then you're taking away, you know, if the MSCI is up, you're taking away, you know, you're, 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 you're still taking away the, the beta part of it, right? So you end up having a lot of, a lot of performance to take out of the hedge fund returns, right? So taking out, just taking out 5% is an adverse scenario for, for alpha. But with that said, you would expect them to, with a 5% rate to, you know, do okay on their, you know, on their performance. But, you know, the reality is, is that they're, they're getting a cash rate on very little of their, you know, of their AUM, right? If you think about just what's in un, unencumbered cash across managers, um, you know, it ends up not being nearly as much as, as the expectation or the, the not expectation, but the, uh, perception is, um, but then to answer the other part of your question, the managers or the strategies that did very well was fixed income relative value. Uh, they ended up with about 3% of alpha on an annualized basis in 23. Uh, quant equity was even higher at 4%. Um, and credit uh, was positive as well. And this is kind of across the credit strategies. Um, and this is the fifth year in a row that they had positive alpha. The other strategies, uh, you know, other than managed futures were, I guess, other than managed futures, uh, discretionary macro and event driven, which were both down about three managed futures was down about nine on an alpha basis. But, you know, for uh, multi strats and discretionary equity was, you know, down in that one, one to 2% range. Now, Tom, I know you could talk about this all day to an extremely granular level of detail, but this report does have a fascinating second section on investor sentiment, which again, we have teased that a little bit, but I do want to shift focus slightly just to, to talk about this because there is so much to dive into here as well. Just to say at the top for listeners, uh, this data represents the views of just over 300 largely North American investors into hedge funds. And this was a survey taken in November and December last year. So this will be among the most current bits of market research that you can get right now. At first glance, it paints a pretty mixed picture, and we've already touched on some of the reasons why that might be in terms of sentiment towards uh, different alternative investment strategies. But it does also address the key questions, which is also just around different types of investors and how they are feeling about allocating or withdrawing from various strategies. But Rourke, I don't want to steal your thunder. This is your research. So could you just talk us through uh, the key findings of this section, please? Sure. Happy to do that. And, um, you know, it's interesting because every, you know, you have to kind of think of everything as being relative, right? So I would say that this report is is a much more positive view, right, than last year. Um, even though on a relative basis, hedge funds kind of outperformed in 22 relative to 23, Uh the the sentiment coming out of 23 is much more positive than it was coming out of 22. It's not rip roaring, right? Um, and I think that's very uh, important to to mention. But if I if I took a poll of how challenging a year for asset raising 23 was, uh, I think I think it's it was it was challenging. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. And my expectation for 24 is you know based on the input, like you said is uh you know it's not gonna be gangbusters but you know man investors do seem to you know be willing to put more money to work expecting or wanting to put more money to work um and and the the nice thing is from a you know for the manager side is it's really across the uh the investor types right so coming out of uh 22 it was really just the private banks and family offices that said they were going to put money to work whereas coming out of 23, um, you know, on a moderate basis, pensions are kind of back in the game. Uh, ENF seem to be pretty enthusiastic and private banks and family offices collectively are kind of equally uh, enthusiastic to last year. So, Rod, that, that, that's fascinating. What can you tell us then about investors' behavior? You, you said that, and this is very positive to hear, and I'm I'm sure there'll be lots of managers out there to be hanging on your word. And you've said that you expect the fundraising environment to be more positive than last year. So that's wonderful news. But what can you then tell us about investors' behavior and their intentions regarding hedge fund allocations then this year? Yeah. So 
One quick, you know, point to make there is, um, you know, if you look across the investor types, uh, they coming out of 22 and, you know, for the year of 23, they kind of gave us a, an intention and most, in the, you know, kind of lived up to what they said they were going to do, right? Pensions said they were going to be down and they were down. Uh, ENFs and private banks said they would be up and they were up. However, the family offices, which are not an immaterial segment, um, said they're going to be up and ended up not, uh, you know, or ended up flat overall as, as, a, as a group. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, they, they've lost a little credibility, but, uh, you know, at least they're still bullish. Um, you know, and then if you think about, like, you know, where the money is going to come from, uh, the pensions being, you know, back in, in, in the allocating mode, uh, you know, just because they have the most assets, it seems like they're going to be doing, uh, a, you know, a big chunk of, of the gross allocations. Um, I think, you know, collectively, you know, based on what, where we've seen sentiment over the last couple of years and what we, you know, what we expect, um, where we think there's going to be around $340 billion of gross allocations in 24. Um, you know, if we were to rely only on our investors, the number might be a, a tad bit higher, but we do, we do haircut it because, you know, the reality is right. Um, the people that fill out a survey on hedge funds, probably a bit more enthusiastic towards hedge funds. And the people that we know that we asked to fill out the hedge funds, probably a bit more enthusiastic to hedge funds. Right. So we always take, you know, the input we get and say, okay, you know, across the broader market, it may not be as enthusiastic. Um, but nonetheless, you know, 340 billion in gross allocations, I think is a, you know, is a pretty strong number. Um, you know, if you look at it historically, I would say, uh, you know, we would have normally thought of the number like, you know, like kind of like a right down the fairway number being around 10%. Um, you know, and that's going to be re-ups and, you know, just kind of like shifting around asset classes. Uh, but this year, you know, we're putting it at around eight and a half percent. And last year, if I had to guess, although, you know, it's really hard to get into the, you know, what the actual numbers are, um, I would have put it at around, you know, 5% of, of overall EUM, you know, so again, much better year this year than, than last. Now there are, uh, many, many, uh, strategies that we could go into and, and it's, it's all laid out here, but, uh, just with, uh, <laughs> with, with brevity in mind, are you able to just talk us through the most popular, uh, hedge fund strategies among investors and, and just sort of a part two to that question, what does this data tell us about the macro environment? And, and in, in many ways, I imagine it says as much about the investors as it does about the hedge funds. Yeah, totally agree. Um, all right. So let's, let's start with the kind of high level strategies. Um, so once again, coming into 24, just like heading into 23, the credit strategies are the most in favor. So, uh, you know, but, you know, collectively as an asset class, they are the most in favor, but the two that stood out were credit long, short and distressed. Um, and then, you know, within equities, it's really the story around equity market neutral. However, that is down on a year over year basis. So that's, you know, kind of important to note that this has been a strategy that had been kind of always at the top, always, um, increasing and, and not, you know, coming into this year was a little less enthusiasm kind of across equities. Um, the other, you know, kind of strategy I would mention, or the other two, uh, you know, it was fixing relative value, which is up. Um, but I, it's, it's worth pointing out that this is a very capacity constrained strategy. Um, you know, so how much money actually gets put there, I would imagine it's, you know, going to be a small piece of that 340 billion. Um, and then quant equity as well has kind of turned the corner, uh, with regards to, um, you know, sentiment being, you know, much more positive than it had been historically. And then the second part of your question, uh, oh, about the, you know, what's driving that, you know, it's, it's a very, you know, it's a very interesting question because if you ask any individual investor, you're going to get a very different answer, right? The, the popular or perception, right, is that, you know, it's like, oh, where, where were the returns and we're going to, you know, we're going to chase those. But my conversations, and I talk to a lot of investors and I talk to our cap intro partners and I, who talk to even more investors. And it's, you know, it's never the case that what was the best performing strategy last year? Okay, that's where I'm going to put my money, right? So 
These folks are really thinking about their portfolio. Where do I need to get exposure? Where do I think it's going to be good for the next year? Um, and, you know, it's not as if you could say some of it is a call on the market. Like, okay, I think equities are going to do well. I should put more money in equities. But the reality is, is that I think, right, if they thought that they wouldn't, if they really believe that they have conviction, they wouldn't be putting money into equity hedge funds. They would be putting money into long only equity because that's where you can get the best returns or you should expect the best returns in a market that's going to go up. Whereas when you want to get into equity from a hedge fund perspective, they're looking at market neutral. So they're saying, I don't want, I, I'm not sure which way it's going to go, but equity market neutral hedge funds usually do a pretty good job of protecting the downside, but giving me pretty good returns you know, on the upside. And, you know, and you can kind of make the same similar cases, right? If you look at global macro, you know, it, they're, these are hedges. They're not meant to be calls on the market. They're calls, well, I don't know where the, I don't know where it's going to go. So I want to, I want to have this protection or I'm really over allocated here in, in my long, in my long uh, portfolio. I want to, I want to hedge there. So I can't give you a, you know, here's a perception of, of this strategy versus that strategy you know, without getting into a name by name basis where, you know, what was driving their, you know, their uh, particular uh, appetites, yeah, allocation preferences. Yeah, exactly. So, Rob, could, I, could I ask you a little bit about just the landscape of investors? You touched on it a little bit, but just wanted to hear from you again in case I misheard what you said. Um, so we talk about predominantly that landscape of investors to allocate to hedge funds being the institutional investor, the pension plans that you've mentioned, public plans and private plans, endowment foundations, you know, sovereign wealth funds and so on. Um, a lot of talk has, has been in recent years, particularly in the last 18 months, around the high net worth investor returning to hedge funds, finding that a, um, a an appealing prospect for them. Uh, so, what what's your um, take on what's happening there? Uh, you know, how do you see things in terms of those high net worth investors, the family offices that you mentioned, wealth platforms? Are they happy with their allocations? Are they looking to allocate more to hedge? So I think this is, you know, kind of a mutual beneficial society, right? The hedge funds are looking at this massive amount of capital that is underrepresented at within the hedge fund space. So, you know, primarily, you know, if you were to think about where pensions are, where family offices are, um, you know, from an allocation standpoint, the private banks are, are lower than that, right? So just getting up to like kind of the natural rate of investment or allocation to like a pension would be a, a big <clears throat> move in the private bank space. So, you know, from a portfolio mix standpoint, I think that, you know, that's potentially, uh, you know, some of the basis. The other thing is, is that, you know, there's been, you know, since over the last few years, right, the, uh, the markets, you know, think of the Magnificent Seven, et cetera, right? The markets have done, you know, pretty well. 20 was a great year, right? 21 was strong, 22, not so much, but 23 was great. Uh, you know, so if you, if you're an, if you're a RA and you're sitting there saying to your, um, you know, your client, Look, I can keep money in the markets and we can keep riding this roller coaster or we can take some of it and put it in a hedge fund where you're, you know, we're, we're hoping or expecting to get, you know, kind of like equity returns with, with fixed income type uh, uh, risk, right? So, you know, higher sharp ratios. So, and, and if you look at, you know, hedge funds versus the MSCI on a sharp ratio basis, it very much favors, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but kind of like whatever you pick a period and I could go back and do the analysis and come back that most often the hedge funds are going to, uh, you know, really outperform on, on the risk adjusted basis. So, you know, I think that investors and, and the RAs or the RIAs that are, you know, helping their, you know, their underlying investors are saying, you know, this seems like a you know place that others are putting their money. You can get, you know, we can get better, more consistent returns, and you still have a lot of exposure to, you know, to the markets elsewhere. Back by popular demand, Amos Spotlight returns this March in London. The highly anticipated afternoon event will take place in the iconic Waldorf Hilton on Wednesday, the 13th of March, 2024, with a spotlight on multi-versus single strategy managers. 
Following the welcome keynote, there will be a lively debate from panelists on the benefits and nuances of obtaining hedge fund exposure via an allocation to a multi or single asset manager. Cap off the afternoon with a cocktail reception in the Waldorf's elegant Palm Court. Don't miss this unparalleled opportunity to connect, learn and experience the best of the hedge fund world. Register now to secure your place at Spotlight 2024 and be part of an event that promises to enlighten and connect. Learn more at AIMA.org and we hope to see you there. Now, well, I, I'm going to ask you to pivot again here. and This is really your fault for having such a, a comprehensive report that you've put in front of us. But my ears pricked up when uh, you first started describing the report because you mentioned uh, the the interest in ESG. And I can't help but ask you about this because ESG and sustainable investing has been on quite a journey. Uh, you used the word roller coaster ride earlier, and um, maybe that'll be appropriate here as well. If you are a regular reader of the financial press, you will have seen a real shift in sentiment towards ESG, uh, at least over the last year, if not slightly longer, from um, almost hyper bullishness to, to something more sanguine now. And you've got some really interesting data here on investor interest in ESG and even more interestingly to do um, with the various differences across regions. So could I just ask you to sort of lay out what's going on here and, and maybe put some numbers to the, the headlines that people will have read? Absolutely. Um, but I, I do think it's important to note that this perspective, my answer is going to be around in ESG investing by hedge funds, right? So this is very different than the long only space. And it's a very much smaller portion of the AUM, right? Um, and I think the other kind of key point here is that when you think about a hedge fund perspective on ESG, they are potentially shorting a bad player, right? Which obviously doesn't happen on the long only side. Or they may go long a bad player with the expectation that this you know, this firm, whatever is brown now, they're going to be green later. We're going to, we're going to ride that growth, right? Um, so it's a very different approach from a hedge fund perspective relative to the long only side. But with that said, uh, from a numbers perspective, you know, I think that ESG kind of hit a, uh, uh, you know, high point, um, you know, come the 21-22 period. And then since then, it's kind of fallen off a bit um, and potentially, you know, either plateaued or fallen off. Um, and when you look at the various components within ESG, uh, across both EMEA and Americas, the most important uh, area, I guess, would be the E-focus, with you know, the environmental side or the sustainability side. Um, and then in the Americas, you have some investors that are allocated across, um, you know, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, as well as for minority and women-owned hedge funds. Um, Rowick, now, hurdle rates has become very much talked about in recent months. and appears that an increasing number of investors are looking to include hurdle rates in the agreements that they strike with their hedge fund clients. And, and also early movers that have had hurdle rate arrangements in place are looking to revise them. What can you tell our listeners about hurdle rates? Yeah, so... That's a, a good question, very relevant. Um, you know, and if you were to look back a few years ago, it would have been much less relevant, right? So when we started first looking at fees and we asked about hurdle rates, most investors would say, oh, you know what? If I could get a 25 basis point cut to my manager fee, you know, lock, lock, maybe write a bigger ticket or a little longer lock, um, that would be totally sufficient. It, you know, hurdle rates are confusing. They're hard for the managers. It's, you know, they would much rather have done some other kind of discount. Now, however, with the rates at 5%, it's now a meaningful part of the conversation. They would much rather get uh, a hurdle than get uh, than, than kind of give that away. Um, so investors, you know, overall, I would say somewhere in the 15 to 20% of investors have some hurdles in their portfolio. And then in 2023, that number ticked up significantly. Uh, you know, and look, it's not something that every investor can get from every manager. That's, you know, definitely not the case. Um, but you know, larger manager, larger investors have uh, you know more weight to throw around, and they're more likely to get you know to get it more often. But you know, it really is uh, something that's kind of negotiated on a case by case basis. Um, and if you ask investors now, many you know almost 
three quarters of investors are uh, critically thinking about how to get them incorporated. Whereas only 25% now would say that, um, you know, they don't like where the cash rate is, is irrelevant to their uh, allocation process. And just staying on the topic of fees, um, a large part of our job at AMA is putting out hopefully useful and educational research uh, around exactly these types of topics of sort of the operations and the real nuts and bolts of hedge funds. And one of these that we come to time and again is this issue of fees. People often talk about the two and 20 model, which is very catchy and, and, and sort of a catchwall, but increasingly unhelpful when it comes to the reality of the fee situation. So could you just talk us through where the fee situation is and, and how it might be changing across the industry? Because I know, again, we've mentioned dispersion already. Yeah. So, I, you know, if you go into you know, one of the databases and, and pull out, you know, all of the headline fees, you're going to find that two and 20 is by far the most common uh, rate. But the reality is, if you ask investors, what's your average rate, or you ask even the managers, we do a report, uh, hopefully that we'll be able to share later this year, um, where we really try to understand what the manager fee income is, what the performance fee income is. And, you know, it's, it, let's put it this way, the average fees are not two and 20. Um, what we have found over the last, you know, eight years or so is that, you know, fees, there had been significant fee compression and that they're now kind of coming back up. Uh, and, you know, in 2023, investors indicated that they paid the highest average fee for both management fees and performance fees that they paid in the, in the last bit. Um, but that rate at almost 1.6% and in management fee and 18.2% in performance fee, um, you know, that doesn't sound quite like two and 20, right? You're, you know, there are significant discounts happening. But I just want to mention quickly that what's driving that average fee going down, number one, obviously within traditional hedge funds, you know, you have new launches, you have uh, very um, successful managers. You also have different strategies that have, you know, are going to have different, um, different fees that kind of uh, are going to under, you know, be the basis for what they're charging. Um, but the other thing is that there's been a, a less allocations, I guess would be the right way to put it, or a reduction in the overall hedge fund mix that's going to the low fee products. So, you know, think about risk premium, for instance, um, you know, in general, that has gone from uh, a not immaterial to a marginal um, amount of, of investors overall portfolios. And if you take that out, just naturally, it's going to bring the average fee up. Um, Rourke, you talk about, um, we've, we've talked about this already, about capital raising, but a point that you make in the paper, and I think it's something that is uh, very important for for um, anyone who is interested in this industry to understand, is your sense that the industry is becoming even more bifurcated, so the larger firms and funds are getting larger still. We, we have had lots of conversation. We had... Um, um, a couple of episodes, we had uh, Freddie Parker from Goldman Sachs talking about the multi-manager platform and how prominent that's become and how influential that's become across the hedge fund industry. The sort of larger getting larger. Is your sense that that bifurcation is getting even more bifurcated, is getting even more acute in terms of that problem? And where do you see that in terms of ultimately the hedge fund industry three to five years from now? Yeah, so <clears throat> I would say that uh, the bigger getting bigger, but really they're kind of everybody's getting bigger, and we'll talk about the biggest in a moment. But you know, the reality is twofold. Number one, to the point around multi managers, there's now an option for someone that says, you know, I, I want to, I want to create my own fund, right? Well, you can go into a multi manager and you can get the capital raising and and all of that taken care of the whole the whole business is taken care of. You got excellent technology, and you know you just plug and play. Now you're investing. You're going to get paid out on on your, uh, you know your performance. Oftentimes you're allowed to invest in your in just your strategy, right? To kind of boost your your returns. Um, you know, so the reality is that there's just fewer launches or fewer m small or marginal launches. So the ones that are kind of uh, getting off the ground are these larger guys. So they're already going to join, you know, be in the billion dollar club. Right. And, um, and that's kind of where we looked at it. So if, if you think about the, the large in the context of the industry, 
we looked at just the um, the billion dollar club from HFM, and what we found was that you know the, the number of billion dollar managers has been increasing over the years, and you know part of that is the reduction of the non billion dollar managers that have kind of fallen off or you know just uh, not not as in play. Um, and then the other part is that, you know, they have done well, right? Hedge funds over the last, however long you want to look, have, have, you know, had some really strong performance, which is driving that growth, right? None of the, you know, the the growth of the industry is not coming from, from new flows, right? It's all performance related. But what we saw was that the top 20 were actually outgrowing or outpacing the growth of the other segments. So however you want to look at it, 21 to 50, 50 to 100 balance, or if you do the top 300, you know, whatever the whatever the kind of cohort you want to put against the top twenty, the top twenty is beating it, right? They've aver- they've grown by about forty percent uh, over the last eight years, um, and two thirds of these those top twenty have been there for the you know for the for the entirety of the of the timing. So you know, it really is a story of the the biggest getting bigger, um, but the big are as well. That's really interesting, actually. I've not I've not thought about it that way before but it does that does make sense actually when you lay it out like that finally then mandatory crystal ball time what do you see as being the key trends that are going to impact the hedge fund industry this year and and what are you going to be writing about in the report next year that's a that's a great question we you know having just finished this one i don't think we've quite got our pen pencil sharpened yet on next year uh, but using a crystal ball, I would say that, you know, the rate question is still going to be a big piece of it. Um, you know, it could be if rates are going down, does that create a lot of turbulence or, or you know, uh, dislocation in the market? Right. I think hedge funds, you know, if you look at performance when rates are high versus rates are low and kind of the inter the interim, uh, they do really well in, in both of those scenarios. But where the challenge is going to come in because it, you know you're you're taking away their ability to be predictive is when rates are moving and there's going to be impact from that that volatility that's you know another variable for them to you know to be thoughtful of you know that that is it could be advantageous or it could go against them right um, but really like if rates stay high I would expect them to you know hedge funds to have a have a you know strong year um, which I think you know if you look at the kind of consistency in rates were over the second half of the year, that's really where a lot of the hedge funds, uh, you know, did did particularly well. Um, other kind of key areas, I think, you know, it'd be very interesting to see, I didn't mention, but there was um, one of the findings that we had was that a lot of the allocations that were expected are going to managers that are not already in investors' portfolios. Um, and that's something that, you know, is both a really good thing for the industry, but also a challenging thing, right? Obviously, managers, you know, it's easiest to get money from an investor you already have an allocation from. Um, but getting, you know, if you're able to kind of turn those, turn your pipeline into allocators, that, you know, that's great because over time, you'll, you know, diversifying your, your investor base, et cetera, is, is, you know, is only a good thing. But getting them in the door sometimes can take, you know, quite a while, right? Um, you have to get them to say, I want to do it, get their due diligence to get done, um, get them to be able to fund the, you know, the allocation. Uh, you know, so um, that I will definitely be keeping my eye on as far as, uh, you know, how that plays out. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other, you know, kind of interesting, uh, you know, trends to, you know, to kind of watch. And I think maybe the other one would be around credit. Uh, you know, it's been such a hot topic, whether it's private credit, private credit via hedge funds or traditional credit hedge fund strategies, um, you know, both from a performance standpoint, I think investors are, you know, looking at credit and saying, you know, we expect the risk rate plus, and they expect actually probably plus more than they would expect from, uh, from the traditional, you know, the, their average hedge fund portfolio, like they're really kind of expecting outperformance there. So to see whether or not those managers deliver and, you know, kind of how investors react, that'll be, uh, you know, something else I'm keeping my eye on. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to hear how much positive stuff there really is in there to, to, get, to, to get stuck into when everybody does get the report. And I know our, a lot of our IR listeners will be very soothed by some of the, the uh, information you brought to us. So thank you for that. But 
Before we let you go, uh, regular listeners will know that we have a, a new section as part of our educational focus for this of, of bringing in non-experts into the industry to uh, to ask a question. And at this time, it is the turn of our producer, Chris Clifford. Let's take it away, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Drew. Roke, this has been really interesting, particularly the focus, what you've said and the report has had on the value to allocate to hedge funds in the short term. But as someone who's new to the industry, fairly fresh out of university, just started putting money into a pension fund for the first time, I'd be keen to hear about the long-term value of hedge funds. What can you say about the value of a hedge fund in the long term? Uh, Chris, great to meet you and um, great question. Uh, so, you know, great that you're investing, right? Um, and obviously, you know, if you think about, you know, kind of the little bit of the component of the conversation we had before about, you know, having a diversified portfolio, right? Um, I'm sure that you're not just long NVIDIA in your pension account. Um, and I would say that, you know, over time for, you know, for private inve- private investors or, or private wealth investors, um, they're thinking about their, you know, their own accounts that, you know, hedge funds are, uh, you know, a way of, you know, of, of getting um, not necessarily the outside returns, but a way of maintaining, you know, avoiding the downside, right? So you're going to take away a little bit of that, you know, uh, that volatility um, that because of their just their drawdown production that they have, you know, so, you know, obviously now you've got a long runway ahead of you from an investment standpoint. Um, Maybe you're okay with that volatility, but at some point, you know, as you kind of, you know, uh, build a portfolio, you might be thinking, okay, uh, I should really start to put some money here because, you know, I've, I've gotten great performance and now I want to make sure I can hold on to that. Right. And hedge funds are a, you know, a way for those, um, you know, private bank clients to, you know, to try to do that. It's a great way to end the show, Rourke. Um, we wish you every success as you present the findings of your report uh, globally. I hear you're going on your road show imminently. So good luck with that. And thank you for joining us today and sharing us these wonderful insights. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here and uh, thanks for the safe travel. Uh, best wishes because there's a lot ahead of me. So <laughs> thanks again. The Long Short was brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AMA.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>